BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Lisa Pressman, and today we have my childhood friend and best-selling author, Rachel Simmons, and we're talking about friendships, particularly cultivating healthy friendships with girls. And don't forget to stick around for the show notes. Okay, we're here with Rachel Simmons. Hi. Hi, Lisa. So today we're talking girlfriends, bully-proofing. What if your kid is a bully? You know, it's so funny you say that. I've been kind of wondering, how can you tell if your kid is a bully? Right. Can we talk about that today? Yeah, we can. We can talk about it right now. No, because, yeah, a lot of people are concerned about arming their kids with tools to recognize good friends and to cultivate healthy relationships. But there's that other thing, which is the the secret of, oh my God, what if my kid is the kid that's being the jerk? Right. And also, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. You're loud. I was going to say girls are expert at, first of all, denying it when they get busted. Like, championship. I mean, do you remember that? Actually, you and I were probably really good at that ourselves. <laughs> let's remind, let's remind your listeners that Aliza and I go way back yeah. as in to kindergarten, exactly. just in case, just in case listeners have forgotten. So Aliza, you and I being the socially intelligent creatures that we were and are, I'm going to guess excelled at eluding teachers when they were trying to get us in trouble for something. I don't think I ever got in trouble except for that one time, um, in seventh grade. Yeah, you guys, she's the kind of person who probably really did never get in trouble. Whereas for me, just to make sure that nobody feels uncomfortable on this on listening, um, I always under growth in self-control got a minus sign and was constantly getting kicked out of class for talking to my neighbor. So lest anyone feel judged by the presence of two fabulous people who never yeah. got in trouble. It's really just one. Just one. Um, it's just one. But but truthfully, in all seriousness, um, when girls get in trouble because of that pressure they are under to be seen as the good girl, their, their instinct, and this is not because they're terrible people or seek to be deceptive, but because of the cultural messages they get, their instinct is to say, I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. And that can have a number of implications. One, you know, girls will often say to me that some of the nastiest girls in the class in the presence of an adult act like the most charming people. And so that makes it really hard to get those kids in trouble. For sure. I've had girls say to me, like, I tried to tell the teacher that someone was being unkind to me. And the teacher said, really? Her? So some of these girls are masterful. Masterful. Yeah. SUNY Luther's research, one one of her findings was that when she looked at popular girls versus well-liked girls, 
what was extraordinary is that popular kids who were mean were among the most favored by the teachers as being the most wonderful kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I think that becomes problematic when you have a kind of peer culture where girls are constantly um, denying their behavior is something that um, so many girls go through where let's say, let's say you, Eliza, are being mean to me and we're friends. And I come up to you and I say, Eliza, I need you to stop treating me this way. I need you to, I need you to like be nice to me. And by the way, you know, I just worked up the courage to say this to you, sure. which was not easy. And what you say to me is, I'm not being mean to you, Rachel. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm being fine. You're being too sensitive. And it, it messes with the girls' heads because but I know. Am I being too sensitive? Yeah. Am I being too sensitive? It's like a gaslighting thing. Yeah. So again, this isn't happening because girls are evil, right? And I think we want to be really careful not to capitulate to any of those mean girl stereotypes and girls are catty and girls are this and that. This happens because girls are under so much pressure to be the good girl, to be nice all the time. And they feel like they cannot be authentic about their real feelings. So if a girl, ooh, Hmm. That was an interesting sound. This is post-cold voice. Mm, okay. If a girl is feeling like someone's being mean to her and she is encouraged to disclose that and she gets told she's being too sensitive, now what? If your daughter comes to you and says, I told her she was being mean. I went to Eliza. I said, like, please stop doing this. And Eliza denied it. Always believe your daughter, like believe your daughter over anything else. Now, there might be some exceptions to this. If you're really, really sure that your daughter tends to be overreactive or dramatic, even to use a more slang word, then you may understandably want to redirect them. But if you're really not sure, I want you to remember what I'm telling you, which is that this gaslighting thing does happen. It's important that you remind your daughter that what she knows to be true is true. In other words, if, if you question your own daughter, then all you're doing is helping what the bully has already started, which is to get your daughter to question her own version of events. And I really think that's how we lose our confidence, right? Like, sure. like if I know exactly what is true, like if I know, Eliza, that no matter what you say to me, I know you're being mean to me and I'm going to deal with that. I'm in a much stronger position sure. in terms of my confidence, in terms of what I'm going to do than if I'm like, I don't know, is Elisa being mean to me? I mean, my mom said maybe she wasn't. My mom said maybe it was my fault. Maybe I'm reacting. Which is a very question. common thing to say, you know, so what did you do? Yeah, exactly. So, so this is, I think, what I would call one of my like best pro tips for parents if, if your child comes home and says that the other kid denied it, do not go with the other kid, like side with your child. And what about... If your kid comes home regularly talking about different kids being mean, such that you're questioning whether or not there might be a little bit of your child could be the aggressor too, or maybe they're misjudging, or maybe they don't understand how people perceive them. Let's say they hear all the time from others that they did something wrong. Are you, you know, how can you both support your child and side with them in the sense that you are there for them no matter what, but also listen for clues that maybe they need some help interpreting what's going on in their social dynamics? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So let's back up a little bit and say that as a parent, you are going to best serve your child, not just socially, but in every way. If you can be open to the fact that your kid may be less than perfect and <laughs> at, times, <laughs> at times may contribute to social dynamics. Uh, I say this because it is the parents who are the most defensive about their children who um, react to any feedback about their kid with anger or denial or anything that pushes someone away that typically, you know, have the kids who need the most help. And so the, I think one of the most important things you can actually do for your kid to help them become a better human being is be willing to admit when they're not the best human being. That's right. And right. And so, and what is that? So then like, let's step into that question a little bit. That means that you're the kind of parent who you're looking at your kid. You're not really sure what role she's playing. You kind of think maybe she might be misinterpreting. So that allows you then to, to reach out to her teacher or to reach out to a coach if it's on a sports team or, or other kind of extracurricular activity and say, I'm wondering if we can get together and you can kind of partner with me on something. So you're not saying, you know, is this happening or right. what's going on? But you're saying, can you help fill in some of the blanks? Because I know what I hear, but I know it's not the whole story. I'll tell you something, another pro tip for you out there. Like if you say to anybody at your school, administrator, teacher, whoever, I know I don't know the whole story, they will like kiss your feet. Totally. And I say this, I say this as somebody who works with so many school administrators and clinicians and teachers, and they're like, oh my God, with the parents who like cannot understand that right. their children actually participate in this. So, so many people come in, my child is a victim. Yeah, yeah, always. And it's like, First of all, it, you know, I don't know. I didn't get into, I don't think we get into the parenting business to have like perfect children. And if no. you did, man, you got to like maybe see. Yeah. Super like actually, and maybe this is a little Pollyannish of me, but I really believe that one of the great gifts of parenting is that we get to help our kids be better people. Right. And that means we have to be like willing to bear witness to and help them through the times where they fall short. But like, that's an amazing opportunity. And it's one that we miss if we're too invested in seeing them always as the target, uh -huh. never realizing that they actually may have contributed. Let me say one more thing about this. If you think about a conflict, any kind of conflict you've ever been in, almost always both sides have contributed to it. Of like course. it's very rare. And this is almost a basic foundation of negotiation in conflict resolution. Like it's very rare, Eliza, that you are completely innocent in a conflict we have. And I am completely wrong. No offense, but right. It's more likely like you did this and I did that, uh -huh. you know, or I said this and you reacted that way. So like parents can also look at it just from a standpoint of what is an authentic conflict look like? It's very rarely going to be like a one person's completely to blame. And the other one is, you know, innocent. So let's go back years and years. I want to sort of walk through little girls and let's grow together today through the beginning of what relationships and healthy friendships look like, the moments where you see things and interactions where you might want to intervene when they're four years old, five years old, as people start to notice their children having little, you know, those kind of, as people often say, I have a lot of clients who say, I didn't know these kinds of bullies happened in preschool or kindergarten. And I think part of that is let's define what bully is. So everybody really understands. And part of it is it's the first, especially when you, you know, when you're seeing the everyday minutia, the ins and outs of 
interpersonal relationships between small people and how they're navigating that, you're going to see some things that are quite shocking. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, Well, good. Let's start with bullying, what it is and what it isn't. Um, So bullying is defined as a persistent or a consistent act of aggression that, again, is, is not one time, right? It's like not one thing that happens, but it is occurring over time, often almost like a campaign. Some people have used that word of, of aggression. Um, so it is occurring over days, over weeks, and it occurs usually between someone who has more power, the perpetrator than the target. And so in other words, what that, what does that look like with little kids? Well, it might look like a girl who is particularly articulate, like a very socially intelligent four-year-old who kind of understands a little bit about who's friends with who and seems to really know how to talk and how to connect and how to play, maybe sooner than some of the other kids. She starts transitioning from parallel play a little bit earlier. And then it may be the other child who's the target, who's simply just developmentally maybe a little bit behind and maybe isn't quite as dialed in to the dynamics. And that kid is now going to be the persistent target of the other girl. Maybe the other girl is excluding her or saying she's stupid or a baby calling her names, okay. um, you know, refusing to, to share the swing with her on the playground day after day. That is bullying. If a child comes on the other hand to school one day and is denied a seat on the swing, that doesn't mean she's being bullied. That means she's, yeah, the target of aggression, like crappy behavior. Um, it's very important to parents that parents not overuse that word because it's a great way to get schools to stop paying attention to you. Schools hear <laughs> parents overuse the word bully and they're like, oh, great. It's like a whack job parent. Right. So you really want to reserve your whack job cards for like very specific times when you really are losing it. And I mean, like we all, by which I mean, like all of us have whack job in us because right. we're, we're, we're parents. But like, you don't want to bring your mama bear crazy out for no reason. Yeah, man. Bully. So if you're using the word bully to describe a single incident that happened, Um, you're definitely, you know, that mama bear thing is not going to take you very far in a school. So your child comes and discloses to you a few of those moments. The first time something like that happens, let's talk about the language you can use with younger kids to explain what happened. Crappy behavior, whether or not, you know, they have to understand not everybody's going to be a good friend every day. And you're probably not going to be a good friend every day and how we can weave that into helping the younger kids understand those social dynamics. That's great. I mean, I, I like what you're saying. So I I kind of almost want to kick it to you in a second and get more of your (laughs) words. No. And, and you should know dear listeners that Aliza has excellent words to, and which is of course why she hosts this podcast, but I don't think I'm the only one who has a response here. I'm going to start off by saying that no matter how old your child is, when they're the target, the most important thing you do is to empathize with them. So you hold them for a moment and you say, you acknowledge the feeling, you name the feeling. You say, you know, if I were you, I would be so sad or I would feel really scared or I would feel so hurt that that person treated me that way. And you just take a moment to sit with the feeling before you take any reparative action, Right. recognizing that validating your child's feeling is part of how they come to recognize their own feelings. So that's a very, very important step to take. I think the next thing that I typically do is I might say something like, well, what do you think you could do about it? That's great. Right. Yeah. Right. What do you think you First could do about ask it? versus telling them? Yeah. 
it's never too early for you as a parent to get into the habit of reminding your child that they actually have more choices than they realized. Like you can come in anytime with the solution, but actually our job as parents is to raise kids that can start to think about what their choices are, as opposed to just be the recipient of what we think their choices are. That's right. And Um, it's super important, even with four-year-olds and five-year-olds to feel even with three-year-olds, you can do this. It's just this social dynamic probably takes a bit longer to cook. Um, but to go in with every conversation with the intention of hearing your children and really helping them figure out what those choices are that they have. And the, the last thing we need to do, and of course you do it less and less over the years, is give them the solution. 100%. Also want to remind parents how important it is to keep your face pretty chill, like to not get super reactive, right? Because I I always use this example. It's, you know, when your kid is learning to walk and they tumble over, the first thing they do is look at us. That's right. And they want to know when they look at us, is this okay? Social referencing. Oh, thank you. I didn't know there was a term for that. Dr. Lisa with the the terms. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, social referencing, that's what it's called. And if you look hysterical, like as a parent, when your kid face plants, they go bananas, yeah. right? It's like, forget it. They're done. Yeah. But if you <laughs> totally, we're making really you, fun faces making... <laughs> right now that you can't see. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So then if you keep it chill and you're like, oh, you're okay, like, let me help you up and you can keep going. They keep on trucking. So I believe that kids are constantly referencing our faces for however old and however long they are on this earth. And in this instance, they're looking at you to say, is it okay that somebody was mean to me? Uh Now, you're not saying it's okay, but you're also not saying this is the end of the world, that your child is in danger, that, oh my God, she'll never have friends. She's going to be the victim her whole life. And I I use those hyperbolic kinds of statements. We have those kinds of reactions. We tell ourselves those stories. 100%. We're like, oh my God, she's going to be that odd girl out. Totally. Right? She's that guy. Totally. And she's going to be that guy. Rachel wrote an incredible book called Odd Girl Out. Sorry. Please, please please visit any bookstore near you to buy my book, Odd Girl Out. No, but seriously, newly updated. Um, <laughs> but I do think that um, it, you know, anyway, whatever. Well, Sorry. there's something else that you said with regard to this that I think is worth mentioning, which is, yeah. you know, when a kid falls on their face and, and, or anything happens when they're super little and they look at you, you, you don't want to give those extreme reactions of, you're fine. And let's pretend that it didn't happen or, Oh my God, you know, that totally. sound was horrifying, but no, anyway, but neither, of the, but neither of those things will take you very far. That's th- right. Those things won't take you very far because yeah. in, on the one hand you're saying how you feel doesn't exist. And on the other hand, you're saying like any of those feelings is the end of the world. And the other thing that happens especially when kids start to come home and talk about their day and talk about what happened with a friend is that those, that game face that you need is also because if you start reacting in these big ways to your children's distress, they immediately learn, okay, mom or whomever is not the person that I'm going to tell this story to again, because they're just like, she can't handle it. Yeah. They're like my, they're like, my mom's crazy and yeah. there's no way. And also or too emotional mom, or too invested. My, my mom is essentially making me take care of her. Yes. With, right. And so we're burdening, we're essentially transferring the burden back to our children by having that kind of reaction. 
And they won't say that to us. No, it's just but, a subconscious but, thing that grows over the years if it continues. So it's a great opportunity for us to go, I'm going to practice just listening without freaking out or reading into every experience that my child describes. Rather, just be present to listen and really pay attention. Mm -hmm. And then you won't be burdened with all of the cockamamie stuff that's going on in your head about what might happen, because we all get that way. Yeah, and I, I do think, though, you know, if it helps when you do feel your mind running away or getting hijacked by your own fear for your child, just try to ask yourself this. Say to yourself, if I knew that everything was going to be okay, if I could flash forward to a year from now or a month from now, what is what would I say as a parent if I knew that it was going to be fine? And that's the place that you want to speak that's from, right. not the like, what is the worst thing that could happen? Actually, what's the best thing that could happen? It, it is so easy to impose our own shame and our own haunted memories of whatever we've gone through, particularly if you're a mom, because so many of us have real scars from other girls from growing up. Um, it's so easy to do that. And it's critical to remember your kid is different than you you're probably going to be much more attuned to this than anyone was for you because of what you've gone through. And the reality is your kid's experience is not that different from anyone else's. So there's not going to be some unique wound that is about to befall your child that Uh will irreparably make them like antisocial or incapable of connection. Like what your kid is going through, and this is not to trivialize it, but it is to put it into context, is a developmental kind of rite of passage. It doesn't mean you ignore it but it is part of what kids go through. So now as they get into elementary school and they start to really have the kinds of relationships where they're calling out best friends. In fact, let's specifically address the best friends because girls and boys, but today we're focusing on girls, can get very excited about who their best friend is what this friendship is based on when they're really young is not necessarily clear to us, but it's whatever is going on in those relationships. Sometimes they just sort of glom onto the idea, like this is my best friend and it can become passionate and they're young. So kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and certainly by third grade, there's almost a pressure to find your people and find your best friend. So what's a good way to think about that or talk about that So one of the things that we do at Girls Leadership, which is the nonprofit that I co-founded, is we have a whole curriculum on what is a best friend versus what is a true friend. There you go. And we do that because very often, um, and it's kind of striking to me how articulate elementary school age girls can be about this, there's a real difference between what a true friend is and what a best friend is. For example, um, girls will sometimes say that a best friend may sometimes try to control you. Like they don't like it when you play with anyone else Mm -hmm. and they get really mad if you try to eat lunch or have a recess or just have a conversation with or go sleep over at someone else's house. And that is actually a really unhealthy aspect of being a best friend, but that a true friend or real friend would understand that it's okay to have lots of other friends. And so there's an aspect or a darker side to the best friend structure in elementary school where there's a lot of control. There's a lot of actual implicit or actual actually stated threats. Like if you do this, sure. if you go play with someone else, if you play or hang out or whatever with someone else, I'm not going to be your best friend anymore. That can make best friendship actually like both, as you said, really passionate, but also kind of treacherous. 
So what can we do with our girls when they are finding themselves feeling guilty hanging out with someone else or being interested in hanging out with someone else or when they get that comment that's your you know another thing that can happen especially because we talk so much now at schools with social emotional learning about bullying is that kids overuse it and they'll say like you i you're bullying me right now because you want to play with someone else right so i think it's very important to just talk about kind of basic rules of relationship with our girls, with, with everyone actually. But like, <laughs> I think part of what's happening is that girls feel this great intensity towards their friends, but they don't necessarily have the ground rules for what's okay and what's not. And it's really falls to us as the adults in their life to say, like, actually part of being a good friend is allowing your friends to play with other people. Like being a good friend doesn't mean, or a best friend doesn't mean that you have exclusive access to them. Another thing is, you know, part of being a good friend means that just because someone is mad at someone else, you don't get involved in that fight. You leave people to have their own fight. When we don't make those kinds of expectations explicit to girls, they allow their peers to teach them through sort of the law of the jungle. Uh And that's where I think things go awry. So what I'm saying is, and I will add to this in just a second, we have to give girls basic kind of decency behaviors in friendship and don't assume that they know that they know what to do. Um, I forgot what I was going to say about that. I was going to say something else about it. Well, also while you're thinking of it, my brain left. Yeah. We do that as parents when they watch us interact with our friends. So it's also very important not to Mm -hmm. get caught in the adult drama of gossiping or talking about your two other friends who are having this argument or butting in or whatever. So I think there's a lot about modeling Mm -hmm. in your own behavior with your girlfriends or when you're walking into school and bumping into other parents. hundred percent. Could not agree more. And I was also going to say another thing you can do with your daughter is just talk to her about what a good friend is to you. Like what, what does a good friend look like and act like? Mm-hmm. Not really look like, but what does a good friend act like? She's and gorgeous. She's incredibly hot. <laughs> um, yeah, you should definitely ask your daughters what a good friend looks like. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's back that up. So what does a good friend act like? Like, and, and what does a not so good friend act like? And another way of putting this is like, what do you hope that your friends will do for you? And, and what do you, and what do you believe that you should also do for your friends? And, and then what do you think is like, not okay. And I really urge parents to talk about this in terms of your own friendships. For example, I had a friend divorce with another mom. I, you know what a friend divorce is? I'm sure I, you do. I mean, I can I'm guess. Sure you can infer. <laughs> um, so I had a friend divorce and PS, I always use that language with girls and they love it. So please steal that and use it. But I had a friend divorce with this woman whose children were really close with my kid. And it was stressful. It was the first friend divorce I had with someone where the fallout affected my own child. But actually it ended up being kind of a mixed blessing because it allowed me to teach my child about my own standards for friendship. So I could say, using the example of someone she knew, you know, here's here's why this friendship couldn't work for me because I didn't feel like I was being treated well. And here's what's important to me in a friendship. And man, let me tell you, she was pretty wrapped. Like the thing about kids is that they yeah. love hearing our own oh, yeah. right? They, they love hearing like when we get dumped and mm-hmm. like, I mean, obviously 
not the big ones, like by their other parent, for example, but like they certainly <laughs> love me just be really clear there. Boundaries are, are important, but like they really, what I'm trying to say is they can be particularly kind of taken with the stories of our own missteps or uh-huh. our own. Oh yeah. And if you don't have them currently bringing up your experiences that you remember, I don't remember anything, but I, I remember nothing. Yeah. You do remember a few things. Come on. I mean, you know, I just think, I just think it's like great to use yourself an example as an example. I also think that when you do that, you're kind of telling your kid, Hey, look, I'm not perfect either. That's right. And the biggest gift you can give them is to acknowledge out of the gate, you're not perfect, nor do you expect them to be. Sure. Cause then they'll, they'll talk to you about it. I mean, like you don't, it's like, all right, I don't want to go talk to my problems. I'm sorry, wait, let me try that again. I don't want to go talk to anybody about my problems if I think they have no problems. For sure. Like I, like I remember meeting this one author once and like not sure if I was going to connect with them or whatever, like kind of interested in being like, oh man, isn't book writing so hard? Isn't it like really rough? And this author was like, no, I, I love it. It's like amazing. And I was like, we can never be friends. <laughs> like, and it's fun. Like, I know that makes me kind of a dick, but like, I needed this person to like a fellow author to be vulnerable sure. and be like, actually, like sometimes I get really lonely and feel terribly about myself as a writer. And is that fair? No, but I'm also just saying like, I'm not inclined to be super connected or intimate or authentic with somebody when they seem like they're totally fine and never, ever have any problems. And you're also probably not inclined to share your problems with the friend who tells you things could be worse. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Who minimizes my feelings. Yes, that's another charm. That let's never, let's never say again. I'm sorry. You feel that way. Oh my God. Yes. I think let's, can everybody agree to that? Can we just, can we just extinguish that forever? Yeah if we are making value judgments on how sensitive our kids are, which goes back to the idea of being on their side when they say like they felt hurt, whether or not they did any hurting or what their part was in that, the fact of the matter is that is in fact how they feel. That's a lot of the word fact. So if that's how they feel and we minimize it or gaslight in our own way, we're just also kind of perpetuating this cycle of driving girls insane. Yeah. And I think too, I agree with that. And I, I, I really encourage parents to consider like what family, what, how did you grow up? Like, in other words, in your family of origin, how did people relate to your own feelings in order to be really connected with our children's feelings? We have to look at well, how did people relate to our feelings? Because those yeah. two are intricately linked. If if I grew up in a house where when I was upset, people said, oh, you, it's not so bad. Or maybe you're making too big a deal out of right. this. I'm much more likely to do the same thing to my own child, to replicate some of that, that pattern. So um, if you want to be kind of maximally empathic with your own child, do the work of thinking about reflecting on did people minimize my feelings? And do do I think that that's normal when in fact, actually it probably made you feel quite small and that your feelings didn't matter. And taking it another step further, also making sure you're not telling your story of your childhood and your interactions every time your child has an experience. Definitely not a winning move. (laughs) I don't even know if that's... 
No, but it's like, totally. It's like when I tell parents of teenagers, I'm like, can you please stop comparing your high school experience to your teenagers? Like, they're having a really different one. Thank you. Bye. Like, never (laughs) say anything again about you when you were in high school. Yeah. It is. It comes from this place of trying to connect, but it is a very quick way to disconnect. Let me go back to this for a second because I see it so much with the best friends and the, you're not make, you know, giving kids the tools to use the language to let someone know they don't like something or that they are going to play with someone else and they also love them. What happens when that's just not part of the culture and they go, that's not how kids talk. That's not what I'm going to be able to say. This is not what my group says. What do we yeah, do? There? They always say that. They always say that. Um, a couple of things. I mean, I, I encounter this all the time sure. in my work with girls, right? And and I think it's a couple of things. I mean, one is I really encourage parents to try to role play with their daughters to allow them to practice, if not saying it exactly how you would say it, <laughs> then saying it how they could say it. Right. I mean, because role play is, and I think you have to emphasize to your kids, like practice is what we all need in order to get better. So if they're like, oh, this is so lame, like, you can say, Hey, I have to practice stuff before I say it. Like I have to try something a couple times before I feel comfortable with it and put it in my own words. Like, so really encourage them to do the work of, of playing around with it before they go off and and try it in person. And I think that's one way to get them to feel like they own the language themselves. But if they're really intransigent about it and they're like, no, (laughs) nobody, nobody talks like this. I think you say, then listen, like, your desire to be treated well, even if your group doesn't do that right now, I want you to have the kind of friends who, who can talk to you about those things. And maybe you don't have those friends now, but it's really important to me that you have them someday. And if, and if, you know, there are other friends you can try to connect with in other activities, like that's what you should be wanting and aspiring towards. And just because they don't talk that way, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. Um, I hear that all the time from girls, like, you know, that they feel a little bit like that what they want and, and the kinds of conversations they want to have, they just can't have. Again, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with those conversations. It probably means you need different friends. Right. Right. And, and starting to just pay attention to what kind of friends are red flag friends and what kind of friends you can move towards over the years. And maybe today they're not going to get the courage up to say something or feel comfortable, but it will be part of what they understand is over time, what to look for. hundred percent. Like, all right. It's sort of like, you know, when we take a job that we, we don't like and we're like, Oh, I yeah. hate this job. I can't believe I like wasted all this time in this job. Yeah. But actually that time that you sunk into a job mm-hmm. that you ended up not liking is just as valuable as the time that you did take a job that you loved. That's such like, a great we, point. Like we, right? you know, yeah. you, you don't know what you don't know. So finding out what it feels like to have crappy friends helps you out and it helps you figure out what you do want. I'd like to quote what you mean? the eminent, I'd like to quote the eminent Kelly Clarkson here Oh my gosh. who said, thanks to you, I know exactly what I want. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Does remember that song? No. She is eminent. That is an eminent lyric. Anyway, I, the point is, um, it's Cynthia Baker. Oh, I do know that song. I can't breathe for the first time. All right. Anyway, we'll karaoke that someday. My point is that that is exactly how you figure out what you do want. All right. Thanks to you. I know exactly what I want. 
For more information about the nonprofit that Rachel co-founded, it's girlsleadership.org. And it's an amazing program that equips girls with skills to exercise the power of their voice. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. 